the Desert Island Discs with Flavia on Capital FM. Fresh hits for Uganda. Welcome to Desert Island Discs. I'm Flavia. Tonight, we have a celebrated and passionate athletics enthusiast, but more than that, a man who is proving to love Uganda and Uganda loving him right back. For the past years, he has been growing as a sports commentator. It's a job and a role that we will finally get to better understand through his story. He has been on a country visit by invitation of the Uganda Tourism Board, and he made time for us here. So let's hear the story of Rob Walker. Welcome to Desert Island Discs. You have been in Uganda now for... It feels like a month, but actually it's been about nine days. No way. It does feel like weeks even to me. Is this the second time around? Ninth or tenth. I've lost count. I first came, uh, like most Mzungu, <laughs> as a backpacker. Oh, in wow. 2005 where'd you go uh just kampala and ginger okay and i came back many times after that on on a similar path right. kampala and ginger and then the last time i came before this trip was actually to commentate on the world cross-country championships mm. at the kololo independence grounds yeah. in 2017 so it ah. was the longest gap i'd ever had between visits partly because of covid right but it certainly won't be nearly six years before i come back no. again i've already been asked to come and do other stuff later this yeah. summer so yeah it's been mad you absolutely love us mad as much as clearly we're loving you <laughs> so that's great your work or your job is the same as what my husband's passion is commentating and as much as I never understood it so much, I love that he loved it. But I've always said, isn't that so hard to understand everything about a game as it happens? Because if I watch it at home, that's one thing. But if you watch anything, any sport as it happens, are you not thinking of so many other variables than what you're actually seeing? Well, commentating requires a massive amount of concentration. Yeah. And I also think that the ability to commentate is either instinctively in you or it is not. Oh. That's not to say that you can't improve, okay. but you are translating what you see into words and into a context yep. immediately. Yep. So quite often, you don't know what you're about to say. You just open your mouth and, <laughs> and it comes something. out. So that's why it's very instinctive. Mm. Um, but it is it is hard. It is tiring. Occasionally, you do make mistakes. You trip up over names. And obviously, in my sport, <laughs> athletics, you've got very little time in 100 metres. And you've got to make an on-the-spot judgment as to who you think has won. Yeah. And obviously, sometimes you can get that wrong. Okay. But there are little tips and tricks you can pick up along the way. For instance, if you're certain you know who's won, mm -hmm. but you've lost track of who got second and third, you focus all your energy after the finish line on talking about the champion. <laughs> of course. Until you've had 10 seconds to, <laughs> to figure, figure out. And then so-and-so took the silver, uh, and the Americans completed the podium with the bronze. Now we so you to. just leave yourself a few little seconds to for your brain figure to catch out. up. Right. So. Uh, well, on this show, we get to know, you know, the person. Just go anywhere in their childhood. Just take us there and let's start there to get to know you. Well, in that mm -hmm. case, it would be 1984. Okay. When I was nine. I'm obviously a lot older than you. I'm 47. <laughs> I was like, were you born? Oh, not born. Yes, very much born. Mm. Skinny little British boy being woken up in the middle of the night mm -hmm. by his mum for a very good reason. Okay. Because the men's 1500 meter final oh. was on TV live. And with the time difference, it meant I had to be woken up in the middle of the night. So my mum set her alarm and got yeah. up. And I went downstairs and I watched the men's 1500 metre final from the Olympic Games in Los Angeles, in which Sebco was the defending champion. Mm -hmm. And his fellow Brit, Steve Cram, was the newly crowned world champion, having won the inaugural world title in Helsinki the previous summer. And it absolutely crystallised for me that running was going to be a massive part of my life. At that stage, mm -hmm. I thought that I would follow them, or I hoped to I would follow run, them, not, and, and, run, yeah. and run the 1500 metres. That didn't transpire to be the case. <laughs> but of course, as you now know, which is why I'm here in Uganda, um, it did allow me that mm -hmm. passion to eventually make it up into the commentary box to be the bloke talking about it. So yeah. that was a, an iconic moment and I uh, can still remember the little chair I sat on in the yeah. lounge watching the race. But at nine, why is mom waking you up to watch this? Is it because it's something that you both had cultivated or oh, he loves to watch this, he loves to do this? You were running. I already wow. knew I loved running by oh, that wow. age and the first athletics I watched was the inaugural World Athletics Championships right. in 1983 in Helsinki where Cram won the 1500. Uh -huh. So by the following summer, I had already told mum I'm going to watch the Olympic Games. Mm. So it was more driven by me than her. Mm. But 
Yeah, the seed was sown for me (laughs) in in 83 Mm -hmm. when I was then eight. I had already realized at that stage that I loved running. Mm. I still love running now. One of my uh, people asked me, I've just done a speech at the High Commission and they asked me what were my highlights from the nine days. And there are so many, but they specifically wanted to pin me down to two. (laughs) Okay. So I obviously I gave the iconic one, the gorillas, because we had an amazing trek. And Mm. by all accounts, you don't always get as close as we did. And we happened to find the biggest troop. So there were two silverbacks. I didn't know that that was possible. But Mm. if they're siblings and and they get on, then there are. So with two silverbacks and it was the iconic experience, I hoped it would be. But my other best day was at Murchison Falls, not necessarily at the waterfall. I put my official gifted Uganda racing t-shirt yeah. on my vest the same vest that chapter guy and jacob will wear wow at the world cross country this yeah. weekend and i just ran 11 or 12k whoa and i was high-fiving locals chasing the little kids <laughs> getting an experience and that, so yeah so running is the sheer feeling of being in motion especially here on this continent in this mm. country with that warm weather and people saying hello back and being really friendly yeah, those were my two Cause highlights. Because I, I was about to ask, I'm like, okay, I, I mean, I, I can run just, you know, for fitness to work. I don't know if I feel excited <laughs> by it, but clearly for you, even at that age at nine, you knew there was something in it. Yes. It wasn't just one foot and the other. It was, it was just a thing, which I don't hear that many people describe. About. It just, just made me feel alive. And yeah. the other time I feel that energy is when I'm commentating. Whoa, okay. <laughs> I can't wait to get to that part of how you ended up in the box and not <laughs> on the field. So what's your first song choice? Dario G, Sunshine. It's a fantastic song. And actually, the the guy that made it, it's got hints of Caribbean mm-hmm. and it's got hints of Africa in it. And those are my two favourite parts of the world. And it also reminds me of the great time I had at university because you've got to remember I'm as I said I'm a lot older than you I'm 47 so my undergrad years were 1994 to 1998 and Sunshine by Dario G was a massive tune around that time so I can remember I'm not like most Mzungu I love dancing and I can dance sober so (laughs) I I mean obviously I enjoy having a few beers but I'm not shy or inhibited like that and I can remember filling dance floors with arms and legs flailing (laughs) everywhere to Sunshine by Dario G. It's a brilliant, brilliant tune. Island Discs with Flavia on Capital FM. Fresh hits for Uganda. Welcome back. It's Desert Island Discs. We just listened to Dario G's 
Sunshine, right? Um, if it sounds like anything, just like a title, Sunshine, it, it describes what you were doing. Just put your arms out and just have a good time and dance. You spoke about university. Someone like you who's already figured out, I want to run. <laughs> what do you do with school? <laughs> well, I loved English. Okay. I loved writing, reading and performing. So I loved acting as well. So mm. I suppose the path was self-selective. Yes. Because if you think about what a commentator does, yeah. your ability with words is You're creating a picture. paramount like importance. Radio, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so all of those kind of skills and those pursuits that I enjoyed the most at mm. school funneled me Into almost that. automatically down towards yeah. being a broadcaster. Mm. Strange. Maybe I was born to do it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the difference is between nature and nurture. Was it destined to be? I, yeah. I don't know. But, yeah. but certainly... Those were the things I enjoyed the most at school. And I detested maths. I was always a grafter because I was okay academically. Okay. But I was only okay because I worked really hard. Okay. So I knew there were no shortcuts. I don't know what the job culture is in Uganda, but I also knew in Britain that it was a necessity to have at least a C in maths yeah. at GCSE. Here, which English is the, and math, yeah, you have to. You have to have yeah. maths. I detested the subject. But I respected it enough to understand that I had to reach a certain level, yep. get my C at GCSE, which then, is we sit that at 16, yeah. and then say bye-bye and never open <laughs> another it. maths book again, which, <laughs> which is what happened. Thing, yeah. I think that's the same thing because that would be our S4 here, where you do your exams and then go on to decide or major into yes. something yes. more. What did you do at university? English and drama. So were you the type of child who, you know, went into the arts, the drama, went into plays, you did all that? Yeah, I did loads of acting when oh. I was young. And at one stage I considered going into acting, but mm -hmm. obviously I, you know, eventually I made the right choice and, and stayed with <laughs> Why? stayed with commentating because, well, because I loved performing. Okay. But I suppose you are kind of performing when you're Still, commentating. Yes, absolutely. And family, um, is there this nature or this character Rob Walker with mom, dad, any of your siblings? Do you mean are they as gregarious as me? <laughs> you said it but okay, yes. My dad okay. has got a massive personality. Really? Yeah, yeah, huge. He doesn't do anything to do with broadcasting but I grew up in a very loving, very tight-knit home. Just the three of us, no, no siblings. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, remember that uh, there's a trend nowadays in Britain that uh, if couples are struggling to have a second child or a first they go through IVF. Yeah. Many times in Britain, couples are not meeting until the woman is much older. For instance, when I met my wife, so when we first met, not when we married, mm -hmm. I was 34 Whoa, okay. and she was nearly 32. Mm -hmm. When our son, Arthur, was born, she was 36. Mm. And then I spend a lot of time away from home. Yeah. So we were kind of on and off trying for a second but not really thinking about it and then by the time we suddenly thought I wonder why this is not happening <laughs> yeah she was 40 oh. so we tried a round of IVF right. it didn't work and then my wife and I decided okay let's be grateful for who we have for Arthur, not pine for what we don't have but mm. but in the 70s there was no IVF so it was quite unusual in that era when I was at primary school there was hardly anyone in the class mm -hmm. who didn't have siblings you were very unusual to be an only child in, in, the, in the 80s. Oh, yeah. I'm now an only child, so common. I can imagine that even me, perhaps even I shocked people then. Yeah. So yeah. it was unusual then, but it didn't mm. bother me at all. I'm very close to my cousins. Mm. We are a very close extended family. Great. Everyone's got a big personality <laughs> and everyone is noisy. But mm. you know what they say? Apples never fall far from the tree. No, but I heard you say dad. That means mom must be the quiet one who just well, watches in awe. Yeah, but. yeah. Mom <laughs> is the constant. Okay. And my mum would be the voice of reason. Oh. Very strong woman. I mean, you've got some great women here in Uganda. I can tell that you're strong. And actually, there's some really good role models for Ugandan girls here because it seems as though along the way, not just in sport with Perith Chemitai mm -hmm. taking gold and then in the old days, Dorcas won, the, won, Kuru, won yeah. the world title in 2005, Dorcas Insikuru. But also politically, I met the oh, yeah. Speaker of Parliament so that's the fact that she's a female and I believe your Prime Minister is also a woman yeah. so you've got some really good uh, Examples, strong strong willed yeah. women here and my mum's the same she'll let everybody scream and shout but, <laughs> but when she talks you, you listen, listen. Mm, now I get it at that point whether even at university if I had met Rob Walker what would have surprised me about you something that probably was less known okay here he is acting doing all things larger than life personality but 
what did you know about yourself even at that point that would probably have shocked people? I knew I was different. I'm not going to be like everyone else. Right. I am going to find my way. This is going to sound weird, but I remember <laughs> leaving school when I was 18 mm. and thinking, I'm going to make my mark on the world. And everywhere I go, people are going to remember that they met me. At 18? Yes. Wow. But I, I don't want that to sound, because I don't have a big ego, but I'm just being honest with you, because yes. that is what I thought. <laughs> yes, it is. What did you start with, with work? Well, I was working in a shop uh, in a supermarket. Even at university? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, to, just to bring in some spending money. Yes. And then at the end of my undergraduate degree, which was three years, the reason I was an undergrad for four years was because once I finished my degree, I was guild president. I don't know if it works the same here, but that's a paid job for one year. I need to confirm. I know people covet that job, but I'm not quite sure if it is. Yeah, I can't confirm if it is. Well, yeah. at Exeter, it was a paid job for one Good year. Money? So, Well, for a student, yeah. <laughs> okay. And it was prestigious. It was basically, if people don't know what a guild president is, effectively... We have the same here, so, and it's prestigious. You're the head sure. boy. Yes. Effectively, you're the head boy. For the adults. Yes. <laughs> yes. And and I I never lost sight of how lucky I was to be at Exeter University. Because the other thing that the other thing to kind of understand with me is right. I'm a big believer in if at first you don't succeed, try, try, try and again. try again. Mm-hmm. And I had been rejected by Exeter on the strength of my predicted grades. And I worked so bloody hard for my A-levels. Wow that I ended up exceeding my predicted grades. And I phoned them after the results came out. And I said, look, you rejected me on the strength of three Cs. I've just got three Bs. Does that make a difference? (laughs) And they said, not this year. We haven't got room. So my next question was, okay, do you have a policy for some reason where once you've rejected someone once, you don't even think about it the second time? Or or is it a clean page? And they said, no, no, it's a clean page. If you want to try again, try again. So I tried again okay. and I got in the second time. So, you know, I've, I'd been on both sides of that letter, one saying no thanks and the other saying you've got a place. So when I came to the end of the three years, I'd enjoyed it so much and I knew so many different people from right. different social groups. I thought I'm going to be the guild president. Hmm. And obviously you then got to win the election. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so Were I went, you popular at this point? at this uh, Well, I mean, that's for others to judge, but I won the election. <laughs> Okay. And then I spent the year and it was brilliant. You know, I got to go around making speeches as I've done here over the 10 days. And I enjoy speeches because I'm very comfortable in front of large numbers of people. People. Not because I think I'm anything special or good looking (laughs) or clever. I'm just comfortable in front of large crowds. It doesn't phase me. It's just like talking to one person. So the role... Again, I don't know if it's the same with your guild presidents, but part of the role was was to publicise the university and say what a great place it was. So in a way... It's been very similar to the type of speeches I've made here when I've been like on your husband's TV show. Mm-hmm. I've done loads of TV yeah. and I've just been basically making speeches, telling everybody <laughs> why I love Uganda and, yeah. and why I'm going to try and encourage loads more Muzungu to, to, to come <laughs> to here come by, yeah. and, um, you know, and, and, and wow. share the love. So you worked in a shop and then Guild President was sort of a job because you were getting paid. Yes. And then you finished with your degree and then what happens with work? Well, then I thought, right, I need to try and get some work experience in a TV station to see if I like it as much as I think I would, because (laughs) you're not going to suddenly get plucked from nowhere to become a commentator. Commentating, as I said, is so specific so that you you've got to get into that world generally, maybe as a reporter, and then you funnel yourself into commentary. I can understand like they're not that many commentators because the role is, is it's almost like one, two, three, four, five individuals and you're done. Yes. Why in the entire sector did you think that's, that's something I'm definitely going to do? I didn't really know how I would start as a commentator, but I knew that there were jobs as a regional Porter. sports reporter. Yes. So I wrote to the local TV station. I got a week's work experience. At that moment, it absolutely crystallized and took me back to the age of nine watching LA. And I thought, right, this is me. And they said, at the TV station said, we like people to have done a post-grad diploma in broadcast journalism. I said, okay, I've just finished at Exeter. Yeah. They said there are about eight or nine places around the country that mm-hmm. offer this course. Right. I said, okay, where do you prefer, prefer. people to go to? Mm-hmm. And they said Falmouth in Cornwall. I said, okay, I'll, I'll apply. So I went and did my postgraduate diploma for eight or nine months. Loved it. I was lucky that the TV station who had given me the week's work experience, mm-hmm. waited for me to finish the course and wow. gave me a job straight away. Wow. So I began, my career in sports broadcasting began in 1999. Hmm. That was my first job when I was 24. 
Wow. As a reporter. Yes. As a, a sports reporter. reporter, yeah. Yeah. Wow. What's your second song choice? <laughs> well, you know, as an athletics commentator, this this won't come as much of a surprise, okay. but I've listened to this song so many times. I've listened to it on the odd occasion when I'm sad or, or being reflective because right. I don't really do sad. I've lost four mates, uh, one of whom was one of my son's friends who was nine. So that's been extremely challenging. And I did speeches at all of the funerals. So I've listened to it a little bit thinking about life in the universe. Mm -hmm. But generally, when I listen to Chariots of Fire by Vangelis, it just takes me back to all the great moments I witnessed as a child and now all the great moments that I get to experience talking about. So, yeah, Chariots of Fire, Vangelis, is a very, very special, iconic song for me. Island Discs on Capital FM. Fresh hits for Uganda. Desert Island Discs. We have uh, Rob Walker. He's very comfortable calling himself the, the Mzungu. <laughs> There's something we always say about people, but then are afraid that they can hear it. <laughs> but you're very comfortable with it. I guess Ugandans have said that to you many times now. Well, I mean, I, I, I doesn't bother. I've got a skin as thick as a rhino. <laughs> Good. And I'm very, very relaxed. So, yeah, of course, I, I am I am the Mzungu who commentated on Chapter Guy. And, yeah. And that's why I've ended up having an unbelievable roller coaster <laughs> 10-day journey through Uganda. Wow. Um, so you started off as a reporter. Yes. A TV reporter a sport, in the sports section. And you're comfortable because something you were saying, I'll start here and end up wherever. How long was that journey before you got to behind the box? I did a little bit of football commentary because football in Britain is massive. And I know enough about football that I could commentate. I wouldn't say that I could jump in and do it tomorrow okay. because you'd need to know so many statistics. And right. generally in our industry, you either work in football and nothing else mm -hmm. or you do loads mm -hmm. of other sports yes. because it's so popular that it would devour every bit of your time. Right. And I and I became a commentator to commentate on athletics. Uh, so, right. But however, the first time I sat in the box mm -hmm. was for football and I instinctively liked it. Mm. I knew straight away, oh, if I get more chances, I'll do more. So I worked in one particular region mm -hmm. as a sports reporter, did that for about 18 months. Mm -hmm. Then I went to another region where I continued to be a sports reporter, but I was also the third football commentator. I wasn't the number one choice or number two choice, but I was number three. So I got to commentate regularly on football and I began to hone my skills a little bit. So for us who don't know, is it always three choices? No, it, that was just what it was oh, okay. at that television station, that there were, there were four teams that oh. they had, four professional football teams that they had, and the commentary would just rotate. Okay. Sometimes it was only a one-minute voice roundup, <laughs> okay. but other times you would get to do full match commentary. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like it's, it's one of those jobs when you're doing it, it's like fire under you, but then you're like, it's good, I'll do it. Does it feel like that? 
It can do because, you know, you're under pressure. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you're sitting in that hot seat and you're about to commentate on the men's 100 metre final at the Olympic Games yeah. in a wide open race where you haven't got a clear favourite and you've got 10 seconds to summarise it and get it right. Yeah, the adrenaline's <laughs> flowing because yeah. if the adrenaline doesn't flow, you're not, you don't care enough about it or there's a level of presumption there that's going to trip you up. So you do need a little bit of adrenaline, but by and large... You want to have done enough homework right. before you get on air that when you get on air, you think, ah, I've done the revision. <laughs> Now's the fun bit. Yeah. Bring it on. Show me what you've got and I'll talk. Woo. You shared with us much, much earlier on saying that, yeah, you can get in there sometimes and miss a few things and then, you know, pick it up or you can use a few tricks, what you see and, and all of that. But when you look back to when you started and especially with the commentating, when, when was the moment where you felt like, okay, now... I wouldn't call it a big break, but you know the thing where that cemented you, the moment or the job that cemented you in. There is one very significant moment right. in the journey. So I went to the BBC. I did nearly four years there. Mm -hmm. I eventually managed to manoeuvre my way onto athletics, right. but not as a commentator. I was doing producing work and they made it quite clear at that time that they saw me in a producer role. So the commentary oh. door would not open with them. Wow. So... Again, I think life is about being bold mm -hmm. and, and I was single at that time. Mm -hmm. So I handed my notice in and went self-employed. <laughs> okay. I said to them, look, I've had a good time. Thank mm -hmm. you very much. But I need to go and find out. I'd rather try and, and fail, fail. than never to find out how good I could be. Well. And then within a year of leaving that staff job, I ended up in Mombasa for the World Cross Country Championships in 2007 mm -hmm. as a reporter. Right asking the questions after, the, after mm. the race. It was a brilliant, brilliant week. It was a great advert for, for African athletics, mm -hmm. as your edition was 10 years later in yeah. 2017. I think it's a matter of time before the main world outdoor championships comes to the African continent. It probably will go to Kenya before it comes here, but I think that's a win for every Everyone, country yeah. in East Africa, not just the Kenyans who will end up hosting it. At the end of Mombasa, bearing in mind World Athletics was called the IAAF then. Yes. <laughs> the International Amateur Athletics Federation. So the head of broadcasting was a, an African guy, brilliant 100-meter runner who went to the Olympics in 1980, Dr. Ernest Obeng. And he said to me, oh, you, you're quite keen on athletics. And I'm like nodding like a puppy. Like definitely. <laughs> yes. He said, would you like to come to the World Championships in Osaka this forthcoming summer, mm -hmm. 2007? I said, I would love, love to do it. that. Yeah. What would you like me to do? And he said, I want you to do some trackside. What that means for mm -hmm. people who are not familiar with that, it's trackside interviews. Oh. When you watch athletes come off the track, they go through a little avenue of cameramen and women and Cameras, reporters. And, it, yes, and they just do yes. two or three answers with each one. Right. That's called the mixed zone. Okay. And it's trackside interviewing. So I arrive in Japan. Uh-huh. And then he said to me, um, would you like to do any commentary? And I said, I would absolutely <laughs> love that. I said, look, I don't want to step on anyone else's toes yes. here, but would anyone object if I did the men's marathon on the first morning? And as luck would have it, the other commentators all loved, you know, 100 hurdles, mm. 200 metres, 400 metres. They didn't want the marathon. It was yours for the taking. It was. Mm. And that really was meant to be. So I sat in the box. It was radio, not TV. And I commentated on the men's marathon in Osaka and the, the conditions were brutal. It was one of those races that was more like a war of attrition than a race because of the humidity and yeah. the heat. To put it into context, the winning time was 2.16. Bearing in mind most years, that would be one in 2.07, 2.08. Carnage. There were people mm. dropping like flies because of the heat and humidity. And I had a funny feeling. I thought this, this Kenyan, who's not that well fancied and doesn't have a particularly quick PB, looked really good in, in the lead pack. <laughs> Luke Kibet. He was fairly unknown at the time. Anyway, as it turned out, Luke Kibet did win. During that race, bearing in mind that was the first time mm -hmm. I had ever actually commentated on athletics yes. ever i knew within five minutes of starting i said to myself as i was commentating i thought i was born to do this wow. this is me mm. this is what this journey has been for this is why i left my staff job last year yeah. and i'm going to do this i don't know who for i don't know how difficult it's going to be mm. but i felt an electricity coursing through me i wow. just because because I love running, I know what those people are feeling. I don't know what it feels like to run it in 208, to put on that national vest and almost cry with pride. Yeah. 
but I know how it feels to run. I, I know what, you know, I just feel I, I've got such an empathy with those elite mm. athletes because I've got a feeling of what they're going through. Yeah. And because I'm so passionate, it accidentally helps me convey the importance of what they're wow. doing to people who are watching. So from that, at the end of that race in 07, uh, Ernest said to me, um, did you enjoy that? Mm-hmm. And I said, I loved it. <laughs> and he yeah. said, I don't want you to go to the mix zone this week and do trackside interviews. Uh-huh. You better stay this in comment. You better stay in the nice. commentary box. <laughs> and and I've never done. Uh, oh, maybe I've done one day where I filled in for someone else. From that moment onwards, I've commentated on every world championships, wow. either on radio or TV. That was radio, and then from '09, I was in the TV team, and I'm now, you know, uh, uh, very wow. fortuitously, I'm I'm the lead track commentator. Mm-hmm. So in Eugene last year. I commentated on every single final. Wow! For the for the world audience, I'm glad you talked about. As much as I, I I may not be on the track doing what they're doing, what I'm doing is easy because I can already I already sort of know what they're going through, and I I think I kind of want to put you on the spot to pick out who on that track or the different tracks that you've 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 watched has been your favorite. But before that, our third song choice. I don't know how familiar this tune will be right? to Ugandans, but there's a band in the UK mm-hmm. called Scouting for Girls. Oh. And <laughs> okay. they had a fantastic song. Not everyone likes it because it's quite repetitive. And the tune is called She's So Lovely. She's So Lovely. And he says it again and oh. again and again <laughs> and again. And I loved the song. It's really upbeat and energetic, which is very much in tune with, with your character, with my personality. Yeah. When I heard the song, mm-hmm. I had not even met my wife, but I immediately thought, on my wedding day, mm-hmm. this song is going to play. Oh. And what we ended up doing, it's not a slow song. Yeah. So it wasn't the first dance, mm-hmm. but the climax of our wedding you night. You broke into this one. <laughs> climax of our wedding night. We had a live band. Yeah. I got them to learn She's So Lovely by Scouting <laughs> for Girls. One of my best mates, Jimbo, he printed up l- hundreds of copies of, on A4, the words... She's, She's so, so lovely. lovely. <laughs> and we distributed them to everybody who was still at the wedding. And most people were still there at that point. And when it came to the chorus, she's so lovely. She's so lovely. Everybody held up the signs. And my wife's quite shy. She doesn't like being the center of attention. And she was in the middle of a circle of well over a hundred people just looking at her with love and respect and happiness. And I still... I put this song on sometimes in our kitchen and I'm very relaxed. I keep telling you, I'm not like most Mzungu. I wander around, I wander around the house just wearing my pants. So when you listen to this song, yeah. think of me in my kitchen after my wife and son have left for school. Mm-hmm. I sometimes put this song on and dance around the kitchen, wow. jumping around, wearing nothing but my pants. And the dog looks at me as if I've gone insane. Like, are you okay? <laughs> Good stuff. She looks just like them girls in vogue I love the way she plays it cool I think that she is beautiful She's so lovely, she's so lovely She's so lovely, she's so lovely She's so lovely, she's so lovely She's so lovely She's pretty, a fitty She's got a boyfriend though and that's a pity She's flirty, turned thirty Ain't that the age a girl gets really dirty? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know How we'll make it through this I don't know, I don't know, I don't know I love the way she bites her lip I love the way she shakes them hips I love the way she makes me drool I think that she is beautiful I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how we'll make it through 
Desert Island Discs with Flavia on Capital FM. Fresh hits for Uganda. It's Desert Island Discs, Rob Walker. You seem like you're fun. But then I find that people who are that way always get a match or their spouse to just be the total opposite. And I think in describing your wife, she, she sounds like she just probably looks at you sometimes. And yes. <laughs> yes. And just says, oh, wow. Uh, here, how'd you even meet? How'd you even get the opposite? We met online. Oh. In 2008. We met just before I went to the Beijing Olympics mm. because we were exchanging messages, but we had not met. In 2008 in Britain, people thought you were a weirdo if you met someone online. That, now, yeah. online dating now seems to be the only it's way normal. people meet. Yeah. But in 08, people thought there was something wrong with you. Well, yep. What do you mean you've got to meet someone online? But Go to a bar but, or yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. But uh, someone had recommended this dating website, My Single Friend, and the idea was <laughs> My single you, a mate, a friend of yours, wrote a profile about you, and you just uploaded one picture. We hit it off straight away, more like mates, and then, and then the romance grew uh, quite quickly. But she's been really good for me because <laughs> okay. I haven't got much of an ego, but a couple of times she's given me a little verbal slap oh. down and said, okay, I'm not, I'm not, and I'm sure Andrew does this a bit with you because he's working on TV and he's yeah. in front of camera. He's a good looking boy, but some opportunities will come his way, some won't. And then yeah. he's wandering around the house a bit grumpy and you mm. say, oh, come on, let's just be grateful for what we've got. But anyway, <laughs> that's true. so I told her life's, you'll be frustrated with me at, at times, <laughs> okay. but life's never going to be boring. Um, and I don't know how it works with you and Andrew, but I do spend massive amounts of time away from home. Mm. So you need a very specific type of woman who can cope with everything at home Mm. when you're not there for a month. And sometimes you're available on the phone during that month when you're away, but oftentimes you're You're not. not. You're on a different time zone. So you only overlap for a five-minute conversation. So she's really, really... it's really a how are you, are you good, is it... the boy okay okay bye you know that's that's hard a lot of women wouldn't like that but mm. she was good i told her listen this is me yep. the job is as much a way of life as it is an income this is my passion so i'm mm. unless as long as i'm allowed to keep doing it i'm never going to do anything else other right. than this job right so you know that's this is what it's going to be like and mm. she went yeah yeah I'm, I'm in that's cool and she's brilliant she's really good if mm. i go away for a week or two weeks mm-hmm. Doesn't even bat an eyelid. But the other good thing about a relationship, you never take the other person for granted. The trust Mm -hmm. has to be absolute because Mm. you've got enough going on to keep a home going, son, you know, sometimes happy, sometimes crying over homework, you know, the normal stuff with Mm -hmm. kids. You can't have the least shred of doubt that someone's being unfaithful. Or the relationship, So, Or from very early on when we dated, Mm -hmm. if I went to the toilet, my phone be on a table, face up, Unlocked. Well, or, 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 or <laughs> if not, I would. she could see anything coming through. Yeah. So I was subliminally telling her from very early on, I'm there's open. nothing to hide yeah, here. Yeah. And the first holiday we went on, which I think is quite important in a relationship because you're suddenly thrust into spending 24 hours a day with that person. Yep. So it's, it tells you quite a lot about whether it's going to work or not. Yes. And on this holiday, I was trying to turn my phone off. In fact, it was just after the Berlin World Champs in 2009. Mm-hmm. And that was an amazing world championship where Bolt broke both world records, oh, really? the one and the two. We went to a Greek island and I gave her the phone the whole week. I just said, because <laughs> I didn't want to be on the phone. So I left it on silent and I, I would be in the swimming pool or whatever. And I'd say, oh, just, just check the phone. Yeah. Who's, who's, who's called? Who's text? Mm. And from that moment onwards, I think she knew instinctively, okay, this, I can this, trust him. this guy's mm. on the level. Wow. How old is Arthur? He's nine. How is the traveling working for him? Because I, I, your wife can understand and him. Yeah, most of the time he, mm. he's cool because okay. it's all he's ever known. Yeah, oh, yes. But of course he gets older and he understands that 23 days is a lot longer than five. Yep. So yeah, he's always looking forward to getting me back. Usually asking me if I bought him a present. <laughs> but now he's asking me questions about where I've been. He's really good. keen to come Uganda mm-hmm. we're definitely going to do that at some point this year I have to mm-hmm. check dates with, yeah. with Becky when I get home so he's fine and children are extremely good at adapting because mm-hmm. they just say right well daddy, it is. daddy talks on TV and when he's talking on TV he's, <laughs> he's not, not here. here yeah okay fine <laughs> all he wants to know is I like to have some activities lined up so I can say to him oh when I get back we're going to go swimming or we're mm. going to go we're What's going to go plan? here we're going to go there yeah. and the, the other thing I do and I'm quite unusual in Britain in the sense that every year without fail mm-hmm. because I spend a lot of time away he's under the guidance of a maternal figure of course because my, my wife is yeah. unbelievably maternal I take him on holiday oh, for a nice. week 
just the just two, the two of, us, of you. just the two of us oh, and wow. I even did it when he was two mm. when he was toilet training which was carnage as I was you, trying how to did follow, you manage well it was hard I was tired <laughs> I had to follow him around with oh, a potty dear. have you got kids a boy how old turning three soon okay, so you can so imagine is he managing to poo on the toilet or is he still in the potty both a bit of both right yeah. so you know exactly yes so so imagine Andrew <laughs> on holiday with your son at his age now <laughs> for a week he would try for sure but he wouldn't survive right. that much yeah. so yeah so so I've done I've done that yeah. and I want Arthur to remember that we did a lot of things together, together. not just spending well, time apart and there's a very important proverb mm. that says he who teaches his son also teaches his son's son mm. so i'm hoping that arthur will replicate what, what i do with done. him with his son wow. or daughter in the fullness of time why not what's your fourth song choice well we've just been talking about my son yeah my fourth song choice is the theme tune to the film road to perdition which is a fantastic film with tom, tom hanks, hanks yeah. and paul newman and the reason I love that film is, well, threefold. I think Hanks and Newman are brilliant together, together in the film. Yeah. They're brilliant together. And they're two, they're two of my favourite, favourite actors. Mm -hmm. The music is so evocative. And the film is basically about a man's relationship mm -hmm. with his son. And I always think about Arthur when I, when I watch the film. I mean, Hanks plays a bad guy. So it's not like uh, he, he's a commentator and, <laughs> yeah. and his son doesn't see him for a month at a time. But it's a beautiful depiction of the complexities and the subtleties of a father and son. And the third reason I hold it in such high regard, mm -hmm. and I don't know why I did this. I didn't intend to do this. I just went back to the house and put it on. On the night when Arthur was born... Uh, mother and son were stayed in hospital for one night I think because mm -hmm. you're not allowed to stay at the hospital no. as the man <laughs> I went back to the house I shared some champagne with my mother-in-law actually and then she went to bed and I got a beer out the fridge and I watched Road to Perdition I'd seen it before but I had just had a son like yeah. three hours before that and I wanted to remind myself of how much I loved the film oh, and the title yeah, yeah yeah so so road to perdition is a really important film for me and the soundtrack is magical i mean if it doesn't bring tears to your eyes or make you think about someone special then you listen to the wrong song you just sold it to us now Desert Island Discs for our last and final part with Rob Walker. And I know you said you're not supposed to have favorites, right? If they're on track and you're not really supposed to say bias yourself or bias whoever's listening or watching. But have you over the years of your career just thought, 
that guy is brilliant or you know that that lady is fantastic and it just you're also fired up to be you know commentating that particular yeah of course you, you you've got favorites i mean the reason that you end up listening to me here in uganda is probably worth explaining i do what's called the world feed commentary mm. and what that means is every english speaking country around the world Here's your voice. can cho- can choose mm-hmm. to take my voice mm. and some countries don't like great britain would have steve cram and andrew mm. cotter but all over East Africa, all over the Caribbean, they are listening to me. But the important thing that you have to remember is Kenyans are listening to me commentate on the 10,000 metres at the same time the Ugandans are. So I have to be unbiased. Exactly. I can get excited. Uh, Because we get very emotional about that. Of course. (laughs) You can get excited, Mm -hmm. but there has to be, you you have to tell the story properly. Uh, So you've always got favourites. I mean, going back a little bit in history, although he's not that long retired in terms of his Olympic golds, it's 96 and 2000. Mm-hmm. Haile Gabriel Selassie is yes. the greatest distance runner, in my opinion, ever to live because the way I think about this, and this is open to debate, I'm just mm-hmm. giving you my opinion. The way I view somebody being classed as the greatest mm-hmm. is not necessarily what they've done, it's how they've done it and okay. the impact those achievements mm-hmm. have had. And Haile is a truly extraordinary figure. He can only be about five foot four and probably only weighs about eight stone. Even now he's retired, he's probably only eight and a half stone. (laughs) Haile's impact on the world and on his country and the way he's advertised the continent of Africa Mm -hmm. has been phenomenal. He's a great businessman. He had some iconic races against Paul Turgat. Every time I watch the Sydney 10,000 metre final, I I think Turgat's going to win, even though it was 23 years ago. That's how close the race was. Wow. Gabri Selassie pulled that win out of nowhere. He just outdipped him on the line. And I think the winning margin in that race mm-hmm. was smaller than the winning margin in the men's 100 metres. That's nuts, isn't it? Wow. That's a race over 100 metres having a bigger winning margin than a race over six and a quarter miles. So, so Hailey's a great figure, not only because he had the iconic battles with Paul Turgat and, and won, all, won all those great uh, world titles mm-hmm. over 10,000 metres, four in succession, followed by then a bronze and a silver. So he won six successive medals on the track over 10, which mm-hmm. is an incredible achievement. And, and broke the world record, first man in history under 204 for the marathon. Not the world record holder now, that's Eliud Kipchoge, but highly did a great deal. But he started the great Ethiopian run, which is, which is a brilliant uh, ad- advert for, for Ethiopia in Addis Ababa. And he's also got loads of businesses and he made a decree that 50% of the workforce would have to be female. And by so doing, he began to change the way women were viewed in Ethiopian society. So I would have to say... More impactful than, yes, than anything. Yes, n- yeah. than just winning. Mm. And, and whilst we are talking here in Uganda, I see elements of Haile mm-hmm. in Joshua. Really? Because I see Joshua gradually over time becoming a statesman, not mm. just of U- Ugandan athletics. Sorry, yes, Joshua Chetagay. Yeah. Not just a, a statesman of Ugandan mm-hmm. athletics or Ugandan sport, mm-hmm. but a statesman for the country. Right. Because he's articulate, he understands the wider world, mm-hmm. and he seems also to understand that being in the position he is mm-hmm. gives him a power to, to represent the African continent in the most positive way possible. Yeah. Because I Yes, because I still feel that as a Mazungu that there is a lot of accidental ignorance towards certain African countries. I think the more iconic figures like Joshua can portray the modern Africa and the modern Uganda, the more Europeans and North Americans will start to think, ah, Hmm. Uganda, okay. Oh, that that Joshua Chepter guy is from Uganda. Mm -hmm. He seems really articulate. He's always proud of his country. I'll do a bit of research on Uganda. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they discover that they can do the gorillas here. (laughs) Yeah, I thought you could only do that in Rwanda. No, we, sorry, you, uh, have got 54... (laughs) You're you're part of us. Uh, You're wearing off our little flags. I am, I am indeed, I am indeed. Uh, You have got 54% of the world's mountain gorillas. By all accounts, it's a much better experience in Uganda than it is in Rwanda. And Rwanda's only got three national parks. You've got 10, plus 12 nature reserves, plus Murchison Falls, the most powerful waterfall in the world, to name just a few of Mm. a myriad of attractions here. So... It is really important that the modern face of the continent and this country is depicted as many different ways as possible. And I think in that regard, 
Joshua Cheptegei is going to be as important for you as a country in retirement as he is now as an athlete. That's wow. how much respect I've got wow. for the change I think he can bring internationally to how people view this country. Wow, that's good. I'm sure he's listening to this and he's saying thank you. Um, I, I, before we let you go, just for somebody who's listening and we have a much, much wider audience throughout the country who might have said, oh, I did see his pictures. Right? I, I did know that he's here. I just didn't really know why he's here. Just to tell us a bit about your trip here. Well, UTB got in touch, Uganda, Uganda Tourist, Tourist Board, Board yeah. got in touch with me uh, in the aftermath of uh, Tokyo when, when I basically went viral here because I'd said things like uh, when Perth stepped forward to get her medal, I said, oh, by the way, if you've never been to Uganda, it's one of the most beautiful, friendliest places <laughs> I've ever been. Yeah. And we'll try and find you that clip. And you, oh, I've heard it loads yeah. here. So you, uh, uh, as a nation, I think you were shocked by that because it was obvious from listening to me that I was British. So I was, I slowly and surely, I started to get loads of messages on social media going, yeah. who are you? Like, yeah. what, what's the story here? Why are you, why are you so positive about us? Mm. And again, when Joshua and Jacob were running in the 10, mm -hmm. which is always the first because it's the longest race. So the athletes need time to recover before they do the 5,000 at the end of the championships. So in the chronology of the schedule, it's always the 10 first. I had said, early on in the 10,000 metres, well, what a special day this could turn out to yeah. be for Uganda. This is a great test for Joshua Cheptegei and Jacob Kiplimo, and there'll be tens of thousands of people watching in Kampala, all up and down the banks of the Nile. If you are there and, and you're really excited about these two great athletes, then Oliotia, crack open a Nile oh, special, and I, and I hope you go well. So for that, oh. so that started it rolling. Right. Then I made the comment about beautiful country to visit mm. when Perth got her medal. And then in the 5,000 metres, again, I think it just cemented it, and I went viral here. Yeah. I got thousands and thousands and thousands of messages, more than I could possibly have had time to reply to. And the I think yeah, so it, it, was, it was noticed. Wow. So I came over my, it, I think it was in part a reward for me accidentally having become, I suppose, an unofficial ambassador for you yeah. internationally. And, you know, I think they wanted me to do lots of interviews. I've lost count of how many TV <laughs> and radio interviews I've done. It's yeah. been like being famous. And they took me to meet the president. Oh, and then, how was that experience? yeah, it was, it was, I've never met a head of state because I'm just, a, <laughs> I'm just a Mazungu commentator. It was, it was good. He, you know, it was, it was quite formal because, because of COVID, mm. we didn't sit together at You're a table. A distance, yeah. We were sitting at these individual desks where you spoke on a, a microphone so that he could hear you. Yes. But it was interesting because he said to me, um, we exchanged some pleasantries and I wasn't nervous, but I was very respectful. I was aware I was mm. in the presence of somebody really important. So he said to me, um, he asked me a little bit uh, about, you know, I said, oh, I'm the guy. I can't remember if I said Mazungu or not. I said, oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm the guy who, who did the commentary on Joshua. And one, a couple of the ministers pointed out to him. And I don't know if this, uh, I don't know if this triggered what happened next, mm -hmm. but one of the other ministers said, oh, by the way, uh, Your Excellency, I just want to clarify, Walker has not been paid to come. Oh. He's come because... <laughs> Because he, he wants because to. he wants to promote the country. <laughs> That's important. So that, anyway, so we carry on chatting, and he said to me, "Would you like to ask me a question?" So mm -hmm. I was quite taken aback by that. But I said, "Yeah, okay. What makes you most proud about your country? Because mm -hmm. I know why I love coming here. So I'm interested to know what makes you, you proud." And he said, "The people," and and you know, mm. and gave a gave a an extended answer. And then um, after that, I got presented with an official Ugandan tracksuit and vest oh. by him. I didn't touch him, but but we held both. <laughs> yes. We held both sides of the vest right. and, 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 and took the pictures. Mm. Uh, yeah. So and and then uh, again, going back to I don't know. Maybe he liked the fact that uh, that, that, that there was clarification us. that it yeah. was a pure visit and, and mm -hmm. it wasn't a money maker, which I feel very strongly about. Uh, suddenly, it became apparent that we had use of the the main helicopter. Oh wow! So okay. we went everywhere in his <laughs> helicopter. 
We went to Cap Chorua for a day mm-hmm. because we flew there, came back. I mean, if we're not paying you, the best we can do is be hospitable. <laughs> well, it was amazing because I've only I, I I I was a bit nervous about the helicopter because I've hardly ever been in one, and I it was massive, so I didn't know if it was going to be jumping all over the place. <laughs> right. But actually, it was the other way round. Good experience. It flew uh, only say two or three hundred meters above the ground, so the view of the countryside you could see everything, yeah. as we went around was yeah. was absolutely amazing. So. Yeah, so I think it's been, um, partly it's been a thank you, but also I've said to them, uh, I don't know whether anything will come of this or not, but I said to them, look, um, I never want to be paid for promoting Uganda mm-hmm. because it's very important. A, because I like my independence. Okay. And B, what I say has more conviction because I'm not being told or paid to say yeah. something specific. Yep, yep. So when people listen to me, they can have 100% certainty that I only ever Mm. say what I mean. I've got no one putting my arm up my back, Mm. insisting that it's this or it's that. So I said to them, look, if you wanted to make me, again, for no wages, Mm. if you wanted to make me some kind of official ambassador Ambassador, for the country... I would consider that a great wow. honor and I would not expect to be paid for that. So well, I have that left that with them to see mm, what they want to do. I think what you need here, you just need people to come once. Yep. Then the country sells itself. Mm. You just need to get them over that first hurdle. As as we wrap, because I know you've got to you've got a very tight schedule. I just wanted to get your final song. He did promise to sing for me if I asked. I am asking. Okay. <laughs> so do I, I do the whole the thing and then you song? play the song? Is the final song what you're singing? Yes. Ah, okay. What's the title? This is Johnny Cash, ah. Folsom Prison. <laughs> uh, I haven't had a drink, so this might be a bit croaky. <laughs> but it goes something like this. Mm-hmm. Um I hear the train a-coming, it's coming round the bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom prison, and time keeps dragging on, and that train keeps moving on down to San Anton. When I was just a baby, mama told me, son, always be a good boy, don't ever play with guns, but I shot a man in Reno. Just to watch him die <laughs> And I hear that whistle blowing I hang my head and cry Well I bet there's rich folks eating In a fancy dining car They're probably sipping coffee And smoking big cigars Well I know I had it coming I know I can't be free But Uh-oh. those people keep on moving And that's what tortures me <laughs> One more verse Yes well, if they freed me from this place, if that railroad track was mine, I bet I'd move it on a little further down the line, far from Folsom Prison. That's where I want to stay. Mm. And I'd let that lonesome whistle pull my blues away. Woo-hoo. There you go. Johnny Cash, Folsom <laughs> Prison. Bloody brilliant. <laughs> Rob Walker, thank you so much for accepting to be cast away on our desert island. This is, it's really been a pleasure. It thank really you has. for having me, which I've said <laughs> numerous times over the 10 days. I, I hear the train a coming, it's rolling around a bend. And I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom prison and time keeps dragging on. But that train keeps a rolling on down to San Antonio. When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a good boy, don't ever play with guns. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. When I hear that whistle blowing, I hang my head and cry. But there's rich folks eating from a fancy dining car They're probably drinking coffee and smoking big cigars Well, I know I had it coming 
Fresh hits for Uganda.